And the young man said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this morning as we celebrate your resurrection in that empty tomb. And we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. Now, I wasn't one of them, but I had a bunch of friends in college who would ironically watch soap operas. At least they claimed that they were watching them ironically, although in retrospect they showed a remarkable stamina and expertise for people who said that they didn't actually like the show. I think that the show that they watched was One Life to Live. I I, I honestly can't remember. I'm pretty sure it wasn't General Hospital. I don't remember any doctors. Uh, What I do remember, though, is the crazy relationships that were nearly impossible to keep straight over the years that they watched. You know the kind. There's the guy with the eye patch who's in love with a woman he doesn't know is his cousin. And then there's someone who has just been released from jail who is the adoptive brother of the cop who put him there. There are daughters scheming against their mothers, often with their fathers, and no one knows who anyone's kids are. And I haven't even mentioned all of the people going in and out of comas. (laughs) The the crazy up-and-down relationship is the bedrock of the daytime Soap opera, whether it's One Life to Live, General Hospital, Days of Our Lives, whatever, they all have these crazy relationships, right? In love, out of love, planning to sleep with someone, planning to murder that same someone. But they've got nothing, these relationships, on the soap opera style relationship between Jesus and his friend Peter, like sand through the hourglass. So is first century Israel. (laughs) Now, this morning we read the resurrection story. And I want us to understand what I think is the coolest part about it, other, of course, than the actual empty tomb. But in order to understand this coolest part about the resurrection story that we read, we're going to need to go backward for just a second to trace this soap opera relationship that Peter and Jesus have. Now, as we do this, you may find yourself wondering why I'm spending so much time on this Easter Sunday talking about Jesus's relationship with Peter. But as you listen, I invite you to consider that Peter's story is your story, is our story, that Jesus's soap opera relationship with Peter is his soap opera relationship with you. So let's get into it. Let's begin at the beginning. Jesus first meets Peter when he's gathering his first disciples around him. Peter is a fisherman, and he and his crew have been out fishing all night, and they haven't caught anything. 
And then in the morning, Jesus shows up and suggests to Peter that they try fishing off the other side of the boat, as though they haven't tried that after having caught nothing all night. But Peter decides to try it, and they catch so much fish that they can barely get their boats back to shore without them sinking. And Peter falls down at Jesus' feet, sensing that there's something incredible, something holy about this man. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. This is their first interaction. This is Jesus and Peter meeting for the first time. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. But Jesus, though he knows Peter to be a sinful man, does not depart from him. Instead, he invites Peter to follow him and become a fisher of people. Now, a little while later, Peter finds himself in a different boat with some of the disciples, and they're struggling against the wind and the waves. They've just witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, but they're still totally unprepared for what they witness Next, as they're struggling with the boat, they look up and they see Jesus coming toward them from the shore, walking on the water. And Peter, out of all of them, musters up the faith and the courage to actually step out onto the water himself. He even takes a few hesitant steps on the surface of the water before he realizes what he's doing and begins to sink. And Jesus, of course, just like he did on the beach when they first met, reaches out to Peter and lifts him to safety. So Peter and Jesus are doing okay so far, right? Pretty good. It's sort of like how we do when we first get to know Jesus. We're excited. Everything seems to be going well. We have faith that we never had before, and there's not a cloud in the sky. The old us has been left behind. We feel like a new creation. But then, even if it's just way off in the distance, there's something like the rumble of a gathering storm. Peter's faith, in fact, has already faltered a little bit. Remember, he did begin to sink. So, skipping forward a few months, years, to Matthew 16... Jesus and his disciples have come to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was a sort of historical site where lots of gods, different gods, were traditionally worshipped. And Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And he gets a couple of different answers. And so he asks them a more pointed question. He says, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who once again steps out in faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter is here making the identification of Jesus that Christians will make from that day forward, even down to today. The Christ, Son of the living God. And it's no accident that this confession of Peter's is the rock upon which the church is built. And it's here, after what must have felt like the highest high, that Peter's relationship with Jesus seems to hit those soap opera rocks. Because it's immediately 
after this identification of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus begins to teach the disciples about what is going to have to happen to him in order for him to save the world. His arrest, his trial, his torture, his execution, all the things we read on Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And Peter, horrified, says that he will never let any of that happen to Jesus. He will be Jesus's protector. We see as much when Jesus is finally arrested and Peter draws his sword and cuts off an arresting soldier's ear. He won't let Jesus go out like that. But Jesus's response to this pledge of Peter's must have felt like a slap in the face. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, I like to say at this point that Peter goes from hero to zero, which is the opposite way that most of us want to go, especially in our relationship with Jesus. But Peter's not even actually done yet. At the Last Supper, after the Last Supper, Jesus takes his disciples out to the Mount of Olives, and says this, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But then he makes them a promise. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter answers him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now we, of course who have just lived through this last week, know what happened. All the sheep of the flock, just as Jesus said, including Peter, the one who had made such extravagant promises of fidelity, of faithfulness, they all ran away. At his most needy, Jesus was abandoned. His disciples and Peter Abandoned him. So what kind of relationship is it that Jesus has with Peter? (laughs) It seems upon reflection that it is at best an up and down sort of soap opera relationship. Because a lot of times it seems more like it's a sliding off the edge of a cliff relationship. And we come here this morning, many of us, feeling the same way. Sometimes, sure, we feel close to Jesus, when we're doing well, when we have the right answers, when we're reading our Bible every day, when we're being faithful, when we're walking on the path that God has laid out for us. But many times, Peter's story is our story. We feel like our relationship with Jesus is falling off a cliff. 
Jesus feels far from us. Now, you came here for good news. But listen, here's the thing about good news. You can only really tell how good it is when you've become well acquainted with the bad news. The sun is never as bright and warm as it is after a long winter. You can't fully understand the power of Easter Sunday without understanding Good Friday. You can't appreciate your Savior without appreciating the depths from which you need to be saved. But we do have good news for you. And here we go. It's actually a good thing that we have a soap opera relationship with Jesus. Because in a soap opera, you can come back from the dead. (laughs) How many soaps in their desperate search for another storyline have brought a character back from the dead? Like all of them. But they stole that move from Jesus. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You know how in a soap opera, or at least so I'm told, (laughs) when a character comes back from the dead, everyone's like, (gasps) and then they cut to commercial right there. I always imagine everyone during the commercial break running around like crazy trying to fix everything up, trying to make everything how it was before the person died, like a husband frantically cleaning up the house when his wife is coming back from a trip a day early. Uh, Again, I'm, I'm told that things like this happen. But this must be what Peter felt like. Right, the woman come back from the tomb and tell the disciples that it's empty. Jesus is risen. If I'm Peter, I'm immediately flashing back on being called Satan or a couple nights earlier denying knowing Jesus. I'm flashing back on all the things that made my relationship with him such a roller coaster. And it ended so badly, promising to never leave him and then denying him just like he said I would. And now He's back. Now, I've mentioned it a couple times before, but I can never think of Peter's relationship with Jesus without thinking of the Angels 1963 classic, My Boyfriend's Back. You've heard the song. It's sung by a girl whose boyfriend went out of town and now she's singing to some other guy 
who's been bothering her, right? My boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. Hey, la, hey, la, my boyfriend's back. Now, two lines from that song ring especially true when I think of Peter. My boyfriend's back and he's going to save my reputation. If I were you, I'd take a permanent vacation. This must be what Peter was considering. I better take a permanent vacation. The scorn he must have expected from the risen Jesus. The I told you so's. Oh man, Jesus is back and he's going to be so disappointed. But the women have a different message. The message that the women come back carrying is nothing less than the most important message in the history of the world. And understanding its importance is why we had to spend all that time tracking Peter and Jesus' relationship. Because the reason the message is so important is because it's a message for Peter. And therefore a message for you. Remember, What that young man told them. Go. Tell his disciples and Peter. That he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Go. Tell his disciples. And Peter. Tell his disciples. And make sure you tell Peter. That Jesus is going to keep his promise. In the face of all their promise breaking, all their abandonment, all of Peter's denials, Jesus will be a promise keeper. My boyfriend's back and everything will be forgiven. This is the good news we celebrate on Easter. Peter's Relationship with Jesus was never on the rocks. It was never a soap opera. Despite everything, it was firm, guaranteed, written in Christ's own blood ever since that first day on the beach when Jesus refused to depart from a sinful man. As it turns out, it wasn't Peter's job to stay close to Jesus. It was Jesus' job to stay close to him. And he even came back from the dead to make sure he did it. The same is true for you. Jesus refuses to depart from you, too. He knows your sins. He felt their weight on the cross. But your relationship with him was never on the rocks. It was never a soap opera. And the reason it wasn't was because it never depended on you. Jesus is your promise keeper. It's his job to stay close to you. And he went so far as to come back from the dead to make sure. Jesus has the same good news for you and for me that he had for Peter on that first Easter morning. 
I'm back. I love you. And I'm not going anywhere. Amen.